The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See jdpower.com slash awards for 2022 details. They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. It's episode number 90 of the Legion Clubhouse, which, you know, if you factor in cost of inflation and everything, this really should be episode 357 of the Legion Clubhouse. (laughs) Karate Kid number 13, Tomorrow's Battle, Yesterday. Published March, April, 1978. Written by Bob Rosakis with art by Juan Ortiz. A mystery villain threatens Karate Kid's past present and future oh matthew we are back to in the, the 30th kids. century no we're back in 1978 uh the dismantling yes. of the uh no this isn't the one a dismantling of the un this is the one where karate kid has gone back in time he's been zapped back to the 50s and he's been fighting uh who he thinks is a superboy clone but it's really not and then all these legionnaires show up and he's fighting them because they don't know each other. And then finally, you know, Imra's like, oh, I've got such a headache. Oh, wait a minute. This guy does think he knows us. <laughs> Tell yeah. me this is the last issue of Karate Kid. I mean, the last printed issue of Karate Kid. Did it only run 12 issues and that was it? Karate Kid ran 15. However, the good news is this is the last issue of Karate Kid that we will cover because it's the last issue of Karate Kid that's germane to basically uh greater legion things other than you know karate kid being in it okay so this is karate kid 13 there's two more issues then it runs it gets canceled and then the story gets sort of wrapped up in an issue of commandy and then that story gets wrapped up five years later in an issue of the brave and the bold so yes karate kid 13 is uh it's a comic book that exists yeah and i don't i don't really know how to approach this one except that you know we do make the realization and you talked about it last time on the show that oh look they're all wearing their old costumes that must mean something and of course it means that everybody's out of time sync and you know timey-wimey doctor who uh stuff is going on and honestly i will say this about this issue this issue still has juan ortiz as the penciler Mm -hmm. but bob mcleod uh, co-creator of the New Mutants takes over as Inker. This is the best-looking issue of Karate Kid. I will say that there's some uh, some serious Mike Allred levels of inking going on in this issue because, man, the outlines around these characters 
yeah. are super heavy. And so but when Cloud, I first... Cloud I, I, knows how to ink, man. Well, I don't know if Allred drew inspiration from him or not or or what, but the heavy inks is something that stood out really a lot to me. Um, in in this in this book, as far as the art goes, the art is fine. I think uh, everything is is on point, uh, so to speak. Um, but man, yeah, you're right. The inking is something that will make you stand up and take notice. Karate Kid, I I th- so one of the things in animation that you do yes. is you create a character model, and even today in a lot of comic books, you create something that's on model, right? So if you right. look at, for example, uh, the current run of the Legion of Superheroes that uh, Brian Michael Bendis and Ryan Sook are doing. Ryan right. Sook spent a lot of time reinterpreting what the Legion looks like, and he would draw a front uh, you know, picture of the, of the Legion member standing and then do a side profile and maybe a back if there was something important on the back, etc. So we knew where all the little bits and pieces and bobs and bibs and heights and all that stuff would go. But most importantly, right. you're also defining the look of the characters so that they remain, and if you hand them off to different um you know different artists they kind of know oh this is supposed to look like this or look like this here's my you know my take on this but i think from the very first issue of karate kid all the way up to this one karate kid number 13 mm-hmm. i don't think they've stayed on model once he has gone from looking asian <laughs> to looking like uh uh grunge from uh, gen 13 uh to looking like i don't know i don't know what just you know average surf bro dude there's uh, but, some Vinnie Barbarino. Yeah, 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 station. definitely, definitely. And it's for those of you that, a Travolta look, those but. of you that don't know who uh, uh, who he's talking about, back in the day, probably around the same time that this, um, yeah, seventy seven, seventy seven, yeah, seventy seven, yeah. Uh, there was a show called Welcome Back, Cotter, uh, starring Gabe Kaplan, who was this uh, former high schooler who's come back to the community and he wants to help out. So he goes and he teaches. He's grown up. He's he goes and teaches at the high school and he has to deal with the sweat hogs. And this is kind of one of the big breakout performances where people uh, finally got to meet John Travolta. And uh, yeah, uh, Vinnie Barberini or whatever his name was, was definitely a definitely a thing. Hey, uh, my name is Val Armour and I'm from the future. Yeah. Hey, take a rubber hose, shove a rubber hose up your nose or whatever it was back in the day. Some, something like that. Hey, <laughs> sit on it. No, that was happy days. Sorry. That was happy days. Up your nose with a rubber hose. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The interesting thing, too, is in this issue, there's a couple of errors. One of them is there's a Superboy word balloon that is all out of whack on page six, where Superboy is supposed to be like, this is my time and I want you to tell me what's going on. And they actually have, I think it's Lightning Lad who's saying it. Maybe it's Cosmic Boy saying it, mm-hmm. but they've got the word balloon mixed up. The other thing is they mentioned that um, when it comes to the big reveal of who the bad guy is, they mentioned, oh, as seen in Justice League number 10. Though mm-hmm. Wikipedia lists this guy's first appearance as Justice League number or number eleven is what they say in the book, but it is actually uh, issue number ten, and I don't know mm-hmm. why that is a little confusing in there, and I don't know if it's one of those Wolverine really appeared on page you know on uh, right, issue on the last page of one eighty. Well, no, he appeared in the issue before that because it was an advertisement, and I don't know right. if it's one of those kinds of things or if it is uh, just somebody messed up when they were writing the editor's notes in this book. Well, I honestly don't know. The thing about the Time Commander is he's super, or the, excuse me, the Lord of Time. Yeah, Sorry. the Lord of Time. He the is the Time, time Lord. The Time Commander is a different guy uh, with the exact same powers and the exact same shtick. Uh, but the Lord of Time uh, is 
like super super minor i think he had appeared like twice in justice league and then disappeared for 10 years and all of a sudden pops up in this issue of karate kid to explain how major disaster has the ability to travel through time. yeah so is this guy the the lord of time or is he epoch because if you go and look for lord of time uh, mm-hmm. with the dc comics links it'll point you to epoch and it says that he first appeared in justice league number 10 march 1962 Mm-hmm. Created by Gardner Fox and Mike uh, Sikowski. You know, not the guy from um, uh, Monsters, Inc. That's a different guy. That's Mike Wazowski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Lord of Time first appeared in Justice League number 10 as the Lord of Time. I want to say that he became epoch, epoch, epoch after the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, man. Uh, but this is the thing. I mean, the... Part of the problem that you have with the DC Wikia is that it's written uh, from the point of view of the world now. So sometimes you go through and you look at stuff and it's like, hey, that doesn't make any sense based on the way the story was actually put together. But yeah, um, the Lord of Time, I think he showed up twice in Justice League, then pops up here. And I want to say he returned in the pages of Justice League right around the crisis and was one of the time related guys who either ceased to exist or whose powers didn't work around the crisis. And he later became Epoch. And I want to say he actually died in a Wildstorm comic. Uh, so the Time Lord, you know, basically says, I'm going to capture you and I'm going to send you guys off to go do these things. And they have to go to Midvale. And uh, of course, that's the home of Supergirl at this point. Mm-hmm. And so actually, that's interesting. Point, it wouldn't be Supergirl. Oh, yeah, because uh, we're in the past. We're in the Superboy's right. past. Ah, time travel, everybody. It will, it will become have been. Yes, I believe is how that works. Because yes. And we're a, talking about this is the past <laughs> of the future. It's of the funny. Past, so. It's funny that everyone is very mum about not mentioning, oh, Midvale, that's the home of uh, Superman's cousin, uh, you know, without actually giving it away. Although, does Superboy know that Kara exists because he goes to the future and haven't they've been together? This is, the is this one of those mind wipes? His mind is wiped of information that would be troublesome to him in the past. Yeah. Now, since the Legion is in the past, which in this case would be about 1968, I don't know. The Legion is in his time, so he may not remember the specific. Yes, he remembers, but he doesn't. It's one of those things with my my super brain. I am sure to keep all of this stuff together. So I don't destroy the continuity of the entire world until the awful crisis comes f- 10 years from now, six years from now. And then I get retconned away. And then I get retconned case. away and I have to go live in a pocket dimension with a horrible, horrible child and my wife. Um, yeah. Different pocket dimension. Eh, it's all a pocket dimension. Pocket dimension. Yeah, but there's a lot of pockets. So, so here's the other thing that in the end, you know, to protect Midvale from all these falling rocks from these meteors or whatever. Superboy stretches his cape to redonkulous proportions. Ah, the old infinitely stretchy super cape routine. So if that is the case, if that's the case, and if people are willing to go with this kind of ridiculousness that is Silver Age comics, Mm -hmm. I I can really give a pass to Superman 2 when he rips the S off of his chest and it turns into a giant piece of cellophane. And right. wraps up Zod and uh, Non and all the others. Mm, I could go for some hot Non right now. <laughs> the power of Saran Wrap S is, in fact, no more ridiculous than Stretchy Cape or Super Ventriloquism 
or the uh, what was it? Extreme muscle control that allowed him to yeah, change the, his face. Yeah, or to grow a beard instantaneously. Right. So I agree with you on that. I think the biggest problem with the uh, cellophane S is not that it was silly, but it was silly at a time when people were trying to take the character super seriously. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't silly from the comics. Had there been even one issue where that happened, you would have the um actually guys explaining that in Adventure 427. <laughs> it would have been very the hard. Saran Wrap S. When, when did uh, Superman 2 come out? 82 or something like that? It would have been very hard. 79 or 80. I oh, really? Because, like, yeah, okay. Yeah, that'd be probably Superman was right. 77, and then yeah. I think it was 79, and then 82 would have been super, 83 would have been Superman 3 with Richard with Pryor. With Richard Pryor, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think it'd be very hard for the um actually folks to to get around. They probably would have gotten beat up back then. Uh, if they tried to stand up in front of a movie theater and go, oh, actually, in Action Comics number 720, I think they would have gotten beat up and shoved into a locker somewhere because they the Internet didn't exist. So they didn't have the anonymity of the Internet to protect them. Yes, we know have, who you they are. They could sit behind the, uh, you know, the counter of the Android's dungeon and explain to young children how it was the worst Legion episode ever. I kind of gave up on this issue. Uh, the minute that Colossal Boy was like, I will plug this volcano by shoving <laughs> it up my butt. <laughs> that does seem painful volcanic enemas are probably not something that you want to do even if you have an only fans page i would not recommend it and i would also say that for those of you writing superhero comics you do not stop a volcano by plugging it that's literally just going to cause it to burst out the sides <laughs> yeah. or, you know pop up in somebody's yard it's you know it's a thing I suspect that this issue ends with Karate Kid winning and everybody just going back to the norms. Because literally at that point, I was like, you know what? This this issue is so stupid. I'm uh, I'm I'm not even going to read the rest of it. It doesn't. It actually ends with the Lord of Time and Major Disaster once again shunting him into a different time zone. Although it does have a really really beautiful series of panels that are mostly McCloud. If you look at it, it's clearly mostly McCloud, where he kicks the major disaster in the face and start smashing the time machine. But at the end of the issue, he ends up back in 1978, New York, where he discovers that his, uh, sort of kind of lady friend, Iris is now a super villain. Oh, because she did that secret injection thing in the last issue. She has turned into a being of living, di living a diamond named diamond death. And how long does she stay that like one issue after that? Or does she um, become she, is, she become like right, Killer so, Frost and has a long lineage of uh, different diamond uh, destructors in her in her history? Different diamond destructors. I see. We're alliterating our actions. That's the key no. to quality literature. All right. So here's the deal. In issue number 14, Diamond Death is fighting, fighting, fighting. And all of a sudden we get the superhero crossover of the year. Karate Kid and Robin. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's pretty big, that big get to allow editorial to bring your Robin character soon to become Nightwing. Or wait, yep. no, we're on. Are we on? Uh, we still Dick Grayson here at this point? Or this is still Dick Grayson. Yeah, this is 1978. He's about six years from Nightwing, but he's just about a year from forming the new Teen Titans. Yeah. He is so officially is the big Teen deal. Wonder off at university, Hudson University at this point. And the Teen Wonder and Karate Kid defeat her with dual pressure strikes, Ooh. which paralyze her. Then Karate Kid is like, I'm going to take her back to the future. That's Karate Kid 14. Karate Kid 15, they end up in the future. She ends up in the future, future with him? Iris ends up in the yeah. future with him? Yes, he oh. takes Iris back to the future, and he thinks he's going to the Legion's future, but he ends up in Commandy's future. 
oh, man. with the Great Disaster. And this is the first time that DC admits, well, wait, we have two contradictory futures going on. The problem is the issue doesn't make any sense and the series gets canceled. So we switch over to Commandy number 58, which makes even less sense because it starts with a karate movie. Uh, okay, so there's these lobster people who love karate films. And Commandy and Karate Kid fight each other in a karate film for the lobster people. And um, yeah, the villains, by the way, this is the best part. You know how for what, five issues now? We've been talking about Major Disaster and how he's messing with Karate Kid. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. And then this issue, we find out he's teamed up with the Lord of Time, right? Yeah. In Commandy number 58, the team breaks up. Their scheme is never explained. Never referred to again. We never find out why they were messing with Karate Kid, what they wanted, and Major Disaster's history explicitly, explicitly later makes it clear that this never happened. I'm, I'm curious so, then. Um, it does, so, doesn't make any sense. I, I mean, it's just like. Oh, okay, so in this in this current timeline of 1978 DC Comics, yes. Yes. Um, Karate Kid is stuck in an alternate he's stuck in 19 or 2078 a where the real biff tannen had gone back to 1978 and bought the real almanac no so but seriously um is is karate kid just stuck in commandy's time or is there some shenanigans that are pulled where suddenly he's back into the correct timeline at the end of commandy 58 he leaves the future of the great disaster mm -hmm. and i want to say he ends up sinking again with the legion around issue 246 or 247 so he will pop up in a couple of issues so he's several months away he's several months away from reappearing yes. in the legion yes and this is even better diamond death gets taken care of down the line in a Legion title. So when we see Karate Kid and Diamond Death show up, we will know at that point that this godforsaken series is officially over. All I can but think until of is that happens. All I can think of is Moulin Rouge. Every time you say Diamond Death, I think of the Diamond Dogs from Moulin Rouge. Diamond Death? Oh. So here's the other thing that is interesting because in Brian Michael Bendis's run of the Legion, and especially in Millennium, which is the what is it, two or three issue series that led up to that, uh, we find out that you know, the great disaster actually happened. It just happened earlier than the Legion timeline or the Legion is. So like there's this great disaster. We get a commandy time. We get atomic Knights time and then the world rebuilds and we get this other future and then it collapses. And then this, you know, the, the time of the Legion in, in Bendis's run is like the third or fourth rebuilding of the world at that yeah. time. So, I mean, th there could technically be some, well, I didn't end up in my future. I just ended up, uh, in the future, but not far enough into the future if people wanted to look at it that way. And that does actually sort of happen coming out of the original Crisis on Infinite Earths in 86, because while Commandy doesn't technically exist, Buddy Blank, mm -hmm. who would have been Omac in right. the other future, finds a boy in Commandy who right. then grows up to become Tommy Tomorrow, mm -hmm. thereby sort of making sure that the Commandy legacy still sort of exists later i believe they push it over to earth 51 so the future of commandy does still exist in multiversity era yeah 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 earth 51 yep no i, I am i'm perfectly fine with him jumping into an alternate uh, universe uh mm -hmm. when this happens i mean that's that's the easy way out and i've said for years that if dc would have fully embraced 
the multiverse, even though Crisis on Infinite Earths, a lot of people look at as a great uh, event in comic book history. Um, I think it created more problems than it's worth. And also it created this idea that because it was such a great comic book event, people kept wanting to have that again and again and again, which is why we've had, uh, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths. We've had Infinite Mm -hmm. Crisis. We've had Countdown to 52. We've had Multiversity. We've had Final Crisis. crisis And then then most recently, uh, Dark Knight's Death Metal. Death Knight's Dark Metal, which came on the heels of Rebirth, which sort of kind of counts. And don't forget uh, uh, Convolution, the uh, that one series that was there for for a while. It was I I don't even remember what that was called. I blanked it out. (laughs) It was something a convention convoluted convergence. Convergence. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Collusion. So yeah, contusions. It was contusions. The comic book. When um now I forgot what her last name is. Uh, Diane, the president of uh, DC Comics. Uh, Nelson. Diane Nelson. Yes, when she was in charge, she came out with basically, you know, all continuities are there. We just want to tell good stories, and if that means we have to tell them and not uh, adhere to continuity, we're okay with that. And people kind of poo pooed her. And it's funny that ten years later, after she's she's gone from the company, uh, some of the the major players that are currently at DC Comics are ringing the bell saying, "Well, continuity really doesn't matter. That's why we have this multiverse." And I really think that if they had embraced the multiverse you know we would look at something like command d or we would look at tommy tomorrow and we would look at omac and we would look at you know all of these different uh future stories and we'd say yeah that just happens on a different earth and everybody would be totally okay with it and it'd be really cool because you know as uh as karate kid was getting ready to go to the future a nuclear bomb went off and he was diverted to another dimension and you have your adventure there and you know I, i i just think that at this point, and this is, you know, looking at DC Comics from a current perspective, while Crisis on Infinite Earth was a great story or, in a, or a fun story, what they really should have done is just said, you know what, a multiverse exists and we embrace it. And that's the way yeah. it's going to be. Because then all of the Legion superhero stuff, including the five year later stuff, which is coming up, uh, including the uh, uh, the Archie Legion, including the, the three boot Legion, including, you know, the current uh, Bendis run. All that stuff exists. They just are in their own slotted universe. Earth one in, in the case of the characters that we're reading now and then whatever Earth the um, the the Archie Legion would be in, etc. Everybody, I think, would be a lot happier with that. I don't know if you agree or not agree, but that's that's my take on it. I think they keep going back and forth because we've actually had in the last 10 years two different attempts to restore the multiverse and Mm -hmm. both of them sort of worked and both of them sort of didn't for me i liked the idea that earth ad is a story that took place somewhere earth 51 earth whatever you want to call it just sort of happens and you can even say to yourself hey you know if you don't like uh commandy's story just pretend it's thundar the barbarian because it's basically the same thing with the same creator yeah uh, and I also wish the DC would move away from the 52 designation that we can only have 52 different Earths. Um, <sighs> I, you tough. know, Marvel has embraced the infinite multiverse, and I think DC probably should too. Uh, listeners, what do you think? What do you think? Should DC just say, nope, we need to stick to a rigid continuity, or should they embrace the multiverse and it should be an infinite multiverse, or should we only have 52? Let us know. Podcast at Majorspoilers.com or send us a tweet at Majorspoilers, and maybe we'll read it on a future show. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. So coming up, Matthew, in Mm -hmm. Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes 237, Mm -hmm. I I sometimes like to noodle around with 
with maths and see, you know, how things are. Okay. This issue, 237, is 33 pages of story, not including ads uh, that yeah. are injected and all that stuff. I think we'd probably be three pages of ads or something like that. I don't know how many yeah. total there are. It's but basically have, a 40-page comic with 33 pages. Yeah, so 33 pages of story for 60 cents. That is a huge bargain. Today's yeah. comics, today's comics, just, you know, to kind of keep this in mind, today's comics are 22 pages of story mm-hmm. for either $3.99 or $4.99, and they're starting to push higher and higher up into that $4.99 and higher price tag. Oh. And so I started to do some some maths, and I said, okay, what is, at the, at the rate of inflation, mm-hmm. what is $0.60 cents today? And today, that $0.60 cents would be the equivalent of two forty eight. Or two fifty, uh, if you wanted to round it up, um, or two ninety nine, if you wanted to go that far. There was a time that comic book companies were saying we're holding the line at two ninety nine. Um, so readers actually today are getting a lot less for their buck than they were in nineteen seventy eight, and I think that's I think that's somewhat sad. I realize that there are now multiple levels of you know, middle management and other things that go on. And certainly the cost right. of ink has skyrocketed. Uh, you know, people talk about how it costs $500 per page uh, to do a comic these days. Uh, I, I don't know. I just feel like if you're paying four ninety nine for a comic, I think maybe you should, you should stop and think and say, wait a minute, is this really f- worth it? Back in the day, back in the day, we could get you know almost twice as much comic for 60 cents for half the price. Yeah, and this is a double-sized comic. A normal book in, you know, 1978 would be 22 pages for about 30 to 35 cents, depending on where we are in 78. So Marvel, I think, was uh, test-ballooning 35-cent issues before DC. But even so, you have to ask yourself, you know, is five ninety nine too much to pay for a comic? Is I think it is. Nine ninety nine too much to pay for I, a comic? I, I, it depends. I, I guess it depends on the length. If you're giving me 100 pages... For six dollars, I think that's probably okay. I think that's probably fair. Still seems a little high, right? I mean, I I guess I would say is what is the cost of a magazine on the newsstands these days that that get up that high? And that's probably where you should price yourself. Uh, Time magazine, I don't think exists still anymore. Maybe it does or Newsweek or whatever. But you know, it was (laughs) not uncommon. But nobody reads them. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't uncommon to pay three ninety nine for those, and you would get almost a hundred pages of content in that. Um, so I think it really has to do with value or how good the quality of the story is. Maybe if it's really, really good, that 22 page story for three ninety nine might be worth it. But I am yeah. I'm starting to see a troubling trend where publishers, both DC and Marvel, are releasing comics that maybe have 40 pages of story and they're asking six ninety nine for yeah. that. So, I mean, I have no problem. So, like, you know, if I'm buying especially a creator owned book. Mm-hmm. If I'm picking up something like Ice Cream Man for yeah, three ninety nine, image, image I, I feel like I'm getting a deal. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do, and that's a you know, it's a very well written, very dense comic. There's a lot going on in it too. Whereas if I'm you know, say picking up a Future State issue, I bought I bought a bunch of Future State this week. I bought them comics. I read them comics. You did. And Why I got to tell that you, for? it's it's not the same thing to me to read a Future State. You should you should listen to some major spoilers podcasts. Uh, to a couple of weeks before you hear this actual actual episode, because uh, I'll have things to say. But yeah, I mean, what you're saying with the comic and what it is you're trying to do, I think, really tie into what I'm willing to pay for. It. Yeah. Now, to be fair, 
Because I know somebody will step up and say, um, actually. Actually. If you were today looking to go out and buy one of the original Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes 237 copies in a very yeah. fine condition, currently on eBay, you could get one for $7.99. So, Stephen, I think you've just pooped on your own argument. Because no, that's, it, a, that's, a, that's a secondhand collectible. Uh, yeah, sure. Let's call it that. <laughs> Let's call it that. But I just thought it would be interesting to kind of look at the price of inflation, uh, cost of inflation, and the cost of comics. And then, you know, uh, to sum it up with saying, eh, you know, we're really not that far off from what the current price of that comic would be on the collector's market. So if I was going to sell you a copy, near mint copy of Superboy and the Legion 237, and when I say near mint, I'm talking to 9294 to run you about 15 bucks. Yeah. 15, 16 dollars. Uh, if you're going to slab something like that, you'll probably multiply that by eight or 10. Mm-hmm. But even there, you know, you've got a book that maybe you don't want to sit down and read it, which is, you know, part of the reason to, to have a comic book. And so you're kind of collectible books from the 70s, especially a book that's, you know, 40, 35 years old. That's a different kettle of fish than I'm going to buy a comic off the stand so I can read about what's going on with Cool New Superboy. Well, let's find out if this issue is actually worth <laughs> 80 oh. bucks. I bet it's not. Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, number 237. No price too high. Published March 1978. Written by Paul Levitz with art by Walt Simonson. Synopsis. The name is Armageddon. We jump now into Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes 230. What are we in? 237. 237. I I like this issue for one one reason. The cover features RJ Brand. And uh, even though throughout the book he's wearing like some Louis the 16th uh you know or he looks uh, like little Lord Fauntleroy exploded. Yeah, or what's the king's name that was always chewing on the uh, the turkey leg? Um, uh, Fred, Charles, whatever. Yeah. He looks like he's dressed like that. However, if I'm not mistaken, this is one of the first times and maybe going forward that we see what will for probably 30 years, uh, be the RJ brand. Look, a heavy set man, white hair, white mustache. Uh, you know, we already know that he's extremely wealthy, but I think this is the look that we've settled on and will settle on going forward. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, this is basically Paul Levitt's sticking the landing on the varied portrayals of R.J. Brand. Now, I will say this. He seems fatter in this issue. Oh, sure, sure. I think it's the most clothing. Most of the later portrayals. He's, and part of that is the fact that he is wearing, you know, Henry VIII clothing. Yeah, he's he's got those vertical stripes going. And when you're a big man, you don't want to wear stripes. Got a, got a big, you know. But, you know, this is the thing. I wear vertical stripes all the time, and I'm a fat man. But, yeah, this is the point where basically Walrus Mustache R.J. Brand is visually set in stone, which is good because we're not more than three or four episodes from finding out the terrible secret of R.J. Brand. That he's a shapeshifter and that's why we get all these different uh, uh, R.J. Brands over the years? Is that what we're going to find la, out? La, la, la. I'm not <laughs> listening. La, 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 la. I'm uh, also, listening. I'm not going to get all creepy on on uh, the female characters and what they wear, but this is this is the era of the Phantom Girl costume that I really like. And I've said that before, that of all the costumes that come out during this reboot period or this uh, revamping or the recostuming era, mm-hmm. um, this is a costume that I like the most. It's got, you know, the little holes because she's kind of like a Phantom and she can slip through different things. I kind of mm-hmm. like the 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 pigtails 
um, or the, the pony, the double ponytail that she has going on. Um, the it doesn't make her pantsuit and portholes. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't make her look like a, a young girl or anything. I just think it's kind of a cool, cool look. Uh, Dazzler yeah. would almost have kind of the same costume that she has uh, as far as the jumpsuit bell bottom thing going on. So very um, similar. And the thing that's really great about it is that the there's just the holes down the shoulders. Mm hmm. That whole cold shoulder shoulder thing, that's actually now back in style. My yeah. wife actually has a blouse that does that, and I'm mm -hmm. like, ha ha, future indeed. Yeah. The other but thing you have to you have to ask yourself, is that belt ever going to go out of style? And the answer is no. No, probably not. This is also the big goodbye issue. Now that they've yes. been married for a couple of months, it's time for Santa Girl and Lightning Lad to say goodbye to the Legion. So they're having a big big ceremony and then uh, everyone says their goodbyes they're shaking hands there's a moment when you think that cosmic boy and lightning lad are going to start making out with one another and then they rock it off in their spaceship with uh with the the tin cans trailing behind and just married taped to the front and i would i would boy. think that the i would think that the exhaust from the ship would fry those cans oh it's a cold exhaust it's cold fusion oh okay that's so, why they call it cold fusion. As far as art goes, I want to bring up some more art here in a moment. But um, one of the things that happened in 1976, Star Wars came out. And one of the things that kind of came out, I don't want to say came out of Star Wars, but was heavily used in Star Wars was this idea of kit bashing, where you go mm -hmm. and you buy models off the shelf. You go and buy these World War II models. And instead of handcrafting everything, you just take... Well, let's take the turret gun off this uh, World War II battleship and then let's mm -hmm. take uh, the plating off of this, you know, this tank and let's slap them together. And that's how we're going to build these ships and these Death Stars and all of that kind of stuff. And it was these little bits of detail on those models is what Lucas and the folks that would become Lucasfilm uh, and uh, Industrial Light and Magic were really working on. They're called uh, either Nernies or Greebles. Um, yeah, yeah depending on how you, I've always called them nernies. And so people always look at me weird. I'm like, well, that was kind of the first word for it. But anyway, right. they're talking about all these little bits and pieces that add detail to a model. And so when we look at, uh, the two of them blasting off from RJ Bla uh, brands, uh, asteroid, mm -hmm. the artist is basically forced to add all of that detail in instead of just one or two, you know, big, tall spires with a couple of boxes in the background, starts to get really detailed here. And this is the thing. This is something that I had not realized. I read through this whole issue and I know this and I've always known this, but this is Walt Simonson. Yeah. I was going to wait this for is, the big, big reveal on that because Thor Walt Simonson with all the noodlies and the bits and the flibberties. And I'm just like, yeah, uh, this is, this is my, can... this is my, this is my way of thinking, right? I'm reading this, I'm reading this. And then the big bad shows up and encases RJ brand in a bubble. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, someone has Loki envy. And then I'm like, <laughs> Oh, it's Walt Simonson. No wonder. Yeah. And this is really, really a shame because God love him. Jack Abel worked for years. Jack Abel is not a bad artist. Jack Abel can ink and he could ink quickly. And I think that's part of the reason that Jack Abel could do, because he could do good work and he could do it fast, but boy, does he squash every bit of individuality out of Walt Simons's pencils. I mean, the, the panel that you mentioned. Yeah. It's the, on, the it's on page six. Away, oh no. Yeah. Okay. The, the ship rocketing away one. Yeah. The ship rocketing away. I think it's on page three. That is the most Simonson ship. That mm -hmm. is the most Simonson panel 
And everything before and everything after is just Jack Abel inks, baby. It is just squashed. Yeah. On, I'm, I'm heartbroken. On page six, and I'm guessing it is the inking, uh, all of the members, the male members of the Legion of Superheroes, their faces are all crammed into one panel. And they're all the exact same face with just a different hairdo. <laughs> I know. And one of them is orange. And mm-hmm. one of them has a spit curl. Yeah. And one of them has Monel's Beatles haircut. But yeah, it's just scary. And I don't know if that's Simonson or if that's that's the inking that's being done on here. I'm going to blame Abel because Simonson tends to have faces that are um, much more filled with, you know, darks and shadows and, and textures. Yeah. At least historically. This is a very young Simonson. Yeah. So this is going to be a full six or seven years before his Thor. debut on Thor. Yeah. Well, you got to start somewhere, and it's not uh, bad starting in uh, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. Anyway, this Loki-esque figure shows up and encases R.J. Brand, and they're like, what is your name, foul demon? And he goes, my name is Arma Geddon. <laughs> my name, first is, name I'm is Arma. A, I'm a hog. My first name is Arma. My last name is Geddon. Arma Geddon. Arma getting out of here. Yeah. Boy. And this is this is this is the sad part, Faithful Spoilerites. That name, that's the best bit. Oh no, because he comes back <laughs> years later, right? I mean, we just have to wait till Armageddon two thousand one for him to return, right? No, no, that, that, that no. That's no. not who that's not that's, what? No, that's a that's a that's a different thing. Oh. Yeah. Armageddon. Armageddon it. Really good. Ask me how many times he appears. Well, he appeared more than I cared for in this issue. <laughs> he appears in this one. Yeah. And this one. I think he makes an appearance in Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes uh, like 20 years later. Oh, man. Only probably because of Walt Simonson. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the only reason anybody remembers him. And when you look at this issue, some of the layouts once we get into space and start fighting are pretty Simonson-y. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh but no, there's, a, and, and I don't know if Simonson has any say on colors, but a lot of the swooshing and swooping that uh, Armageddon does looks very much like rainbow bridge stuff. I mean, once you see that this is Loki and once you understand that it's Walt Simonson, all of a sudden you just cannot avoid yeah. the Thor and the, in the nine realms uh, uh, references Thor-lels. that are going on. Yeah. What we call thor actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he sends them off. Ah, he twirls his imaginary mustache and he says, or maybe he actually twirls RJ Brand's mustache and says, I want you to take these tasks three and bring them to me. And so we yeah. actually, so I want to give some credit to this book because I was really disappointed uh, in the last uh, episode where it was like Monel comes and fights the coons and then he just flies off and it's like, well, that's the end of the coons. They've actually been sitting on the other side of the sun repairing their ship this entire time. And now when they have to come back and steal the heart of the sun, the coons come around and are starting to engage with the Legion of Superheroes, which I thought was really kind of cool because in the end, we do get a wrap up of that coon story in this yes. issue. It's a nice follow up. And it it's not the only piece of continuity stuff in this issue, too, because when Armageddon it says you've got to find me these uh, treasures three. One of them is the quintile crystal yes. from a couple of episodes ago, from mm-hmm. the very first Legion episode. Yeah, where the and, guy takes off his mask and says, because I'm the one that arrested you. Yeah, and then, of course, one of them is the, the heart of the sun that Monel was defending when he beat up mm-hmm. the Kuns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, was, it was really, really nicely done. I feel like, hey, 
that was some pretty neat stuff. This is well, the beginning of, you know, what you, what I expect from your Paul Levitt story. Yeah, and this is Paul Levitt. So, you know, we are getting tight continuity here where continuity does play a big and important role. And I think the fact that we're getting, even though those were short stories in a, in a different issue, that it all kind of comes together and starts to build on one another. And we start to see this need and desire, like we mentioned in, in The Karate Kid, about saying, hey, this character appeared here. You kind of now start to need to know what's been going on in the last 24 issues of comics so you understand why these two characters are leaving, why R.J. Brand is important, why you know the, the quintile uh, gem and the heart of the sun and all these things are important. The couple of other things, though, that do pop out, especially during the Kuhn battle, is that they make mention that uh, Dawnstar can move at near light speed. Yeah. And, and that's pretty fast. It is. Uh, I mean, they can't really say sublight speed because technically you and I move at sublight speed. Right. I actually move at uh, sub, uh, sub, sub, speed, sublight like speed, sub rascal speed. But actually. I mean, is this true? Does Dawnstar really move at near the speed of light? Dawnstar can fly incredibly fast. Yes, yeah, she does not have technically super speed because uh, Legion super speed, super boy, ultra boy type super speed means you can move at super speed. Yeah. Dawnstar can fly interstellar distances at ridiculous, basically at plaid speed. Wow. So yes, Dawnstar can fly incredibly fast when she's tracking something. But once she's within an atmosphere, I believe she's, you know, back down to being just the, the fast girl who can fly around. Yeah. Also, uh, the Coons shoot some uh, red light energy at Monel and Superboy to to stun them. Mm -hmm. The only thing that I have a question about that is they just shoot a red sun beam at them and hit them. But they are literally next to the sun. So I'm wondering <laughs> if that would even have had an effect on them. I know we're starting to be nitpicky in in comic books. But as I saw that, and they're just getting hit by this little beam, it's kind of like if someone were to point a laser, uh, you know, one of the laser pins at you and shoot you in the chest, Matthew, you'd be like, what are you doing? And I have a feeling that's kind of like what should have happened here. Both, you know, Superboy and Mon-El should have both been like, oh, no, a red beam of sunlight. And then, you know, cover up their faces and then it strikes their chest and then they kind of look down and then they kind of look at each other and then they just go tearing right through the coon ships and taking them down in one blast, I think is probably how it would be done today. Yeah, and it's interesting to me that that happens the way that it does because it's a very, very short knocking them down. Even you know, even though you have these things where, technically speaking, Monel shouldn't be weakened the same way as I mean, yes, right. but also no, but right. also yes. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, work that way. Yeah, but yeah, the red sun radiation blast. The only thing I can think of is uh, maybe somebody was like, yeah, it's gonna they're gonna have to absorb more yellow sun radiation for a minute, so it turns them red. Yeah, I don't, but, I don't yeah, even I, think it would work. So anyway, the next group has to go back to the Legion headquarters and get the quintile, uh, what is it called? The quintile gem? The quintile crystal. The quintile crystal. And uh, so Wildfire is there, which is odd because, you know, he's all about, oh, you must support your, your members and that's the way it is or you've got no souls. And here he's just like, bye, have no need for your human emotions. It's, it's very weird. It is super. It's almost like there's someone else inside there. Especially the pose that Projector has leaning all sexy on the wall. Yeah, because going, you've forgotten what it is to be human. And that's really weird, right? I mean, uh, of course, Karate Kid's off doing his own thing. Who knows where he is back in the Command D days. 
But, um, yeah, she and, and Wildfire are having a conversation. She's like, oh, I think you forgot what it meant to be human and have fun. And she's kind of leaning up against the doorframe with her legs out. And I'm like, whoa, that's a little bit uh, maybe more suggestive yeah. than it that it should be. I think what it is is foreshadowing, which is, as we've mentioned, your Where key your to quality arm, literature. When, when a character points at, at you, the reader, and his arm is shorter than it should be? No, that's foreshortening. Oh, foreshortening. Okay. Not to be confused with Crisco, which is just shortening. <laughs> um, but more importantly, it sets up later in the issue when Shadowlass tries to seduce her way past uh, Wildfire. Yeah, the wildfire. Yeah. I'm just looking at this picture and I'm like, wow, she's really naked. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I got so distracted. it's, it's um, Shadowlass. It mm-hmm. is um, Shrinking, Shrinking Violet, Violet and Phantom Girl all go back and they use their stuff to get the Quintile Crystal. And then the they get out of there. Of the, the heart of your your uh, secret uh, Legion espionage squad right there. Isn't the Quintile Crystal supposed to be... Oh, no, this is the used Quintile Crystal. So this isn't the right. one that's currently powering all of the East Coast of the United States. <laughs> this is the one from the very first Legion, blah bitty, blah bitty, blah Yeah. And However, uh, they do knock out Princess Projectra and uh, Wildfire, right? And yes. so they then leave the Legion headquarters... Unattended. Completely unattended. And it's really cruel and troublesome to me what Violet does. Um, I hesitate in a comic book context to use the word ableism, but she literally opens his visor and forces him out of the suit that gives him human form. No, d- does she? she because basically I thought she snaps his neck. Ne- I thought she's like snaps his neck because he's like, oh no, my helmet. She snaps open his helmet. You see his visor open oh, and all okay. his energy blast out. She doesn't kill him. Yeah, all but I she hear is snaps I, his helmet open. Yeah, I see the snap and him going, "Oh no, my helmet!" I'm like, she just like turned your helmet around to cover your eyes or something. It was a in little a, weird. In a vague sense, she literally pushes a man out of his wheelchair, man. which is it's it's really troubling. And then of course she just slaps Princess Projector in the face, and it's clearly a moment of, "I've wanted to do this for months. We'll tell you later what's going on." And I'm just like. Go Violet. Yeah. <laughs> Fair play to Shrinking Violet, I guess. So Interlac is mentioned here. We've talked about Interlac before. It first appeared in the Legion books in 1969. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it, we mentioned it when it first appeared back in the shooter days. Yep. It won't be uh, codified. It won't actually be spelled out until 1984 in Legion of Superheroes 312. So we got a yep. ways for that. But we don't see Interlac mentioned a lot, and nor do we see the Interlac speak in any word bubbles uh, that yep. often. So it's nice to see it pop up here and just kind of remind everybody, hey, there is an intergalactic language that people yeah. use. So that's kind of important. Uh, I want to say it's Keith Giffen who, uh, with Levitz, actually creates and starts using in his art the interlac mm-hmm. alphabet. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And then finally we get to meet these uh, little creatures who worship this giant crown. Oompa loompa. Probably a little bit. Text. Now, the weird thing is they look like baby Hawkmans. And at yeah. one point they have these like uh, crystallized eyes or these faceted eyes, which again, there was a time and I think it was after crisis Hawkman where he had faceted eyes that looked just like this. Yeah, it's a little bit weird, especially because they're clearly a spacefaring society mm-hmm. uh, wearing tall boots, but they're also extremely superstitious. And when the Legion breaks in, they're like, oh, you are our gods. You are the builders. Oh, please do not kill us. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, no. Yeah, so there's a lot of imperialism potentially going on here, too, especially oh, when the oh, Legion yes. are just like, oh, uh, the 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 he who 
uh, he's who, what is it? The, the head that he wears the crown is to he who's, uh, wears the crown has he- got a heavy head or whatever. Heavy as the head yeah. that wears the crown. And they're like, we'll take that off you. And then they're like, oh no, you are evil. And then of course they all figure out that, uh, what, uh, Armageddon is doing is he's creating an ultimate weapon and they fake the guy out and RJ brand makes the ultimate sacrifice, but not really. And then, um, and then they realize that, oh, we could take all these things while we still have them and create a new sun for these uh, space uh, munchkins that are freezing in, in deep space. And then everyone's like, ah, everything's great. You can just build a sun any old place you want, apparently. Yeah. At destroy three priceless artifacts, build a sun. Yeah. And Wildfire is whining about following the rules of the United Planet at the beginning of the issue. Yeah, it's all good. Also, RJ Brand says damn in this issue, which is... Uh, My damn. Which is, I think, pretty cool because at this point, the CCA has really started to show some cracks in it. Because if you can get a mm-hmm. dam slip past those sensors uh, and you can yep. get a princess princess projector leaning uh, suggestively up against a door, you know that the CCA isn't going to be around for very long. Well, I mean, Stan Lee kind of struck a nail in the coffin in the, st- the Spider-Man story back in 72 or 73, mm-hmm. where basically the code said, we're not going to approve it. And Stan said, well, I'm still going to publish it. Yeah. And that book went out and people were like, oh, maybe the code doesn't have the teeth that we thought it did back in mm-hmm. 1950. Yeah, this is this is an OK issue. I wouldn't say it's I wouldn't say either of these, especially the credit kid. I would not even say it's good. This is a good this, issue. This one's entertaining. It's got many adventures. It's, like it's got many members. Filler. In it. To me, it really feels like filler. I mean, it's not the regular artist. And while it does have, you know, the opening of we are taking advantage of and Cosmic Boy's super cool cape, whatever that's about. He's got this cool ceremonial cape with like the four corners on it. I think the girls from the craft used it as a tablecloth. Um, But other than that, this really feels like it might have been a dreaded deadline doom issue that somebody had in an editorial drawer to just put in. And I I don't know about that only because only because we are getting the wrapping up of our members leaving. We are getting the wrap up of the coon story. We are getting the quintile crystal uh, mention again. So, I guess to me, it feels like, okay, we're about ready to start the next chapter of the Legion because, yes, we're bringing R.J. Brand back to this to say, oh, remember, the Legion was this this trifecta of Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad and Cosmic Boy. And now two of those three have left. What's going to happen to the Legion now? Now, when we get to 238, it should feel like an all new chapter, an all new beginning for our heroes going forward. No, it won't. 238 is all reprint. (laughs) No. (laughs) That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion of Superheroes. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us this week. Matthew, what did we learn? I think we learned that really good inking can make a karate kid better, and really questionable inking can make even Simonson a little questionable. I think we also learned that if you go and... um, infiltrate a tribe that doesn't understand your ways and you steal your goods it's called imperialism (laughs) and finally we learned that the traditional wedding gift in the year 2978 is apparently a cenobite puzzle box thank you so much everyone for joining us send us an email send us a tweet send us uh, some of your patronage over at patreon.com slash major spoilers and until next time i'm flying high man and i'm uh getting an itch under my arm The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. 
Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Stephen Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Stephen at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.